Welcome to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast, where we look inside the mind of seven-figure entrepreneurs to see how they amplify their business and amplify their life. Let's welcome today's guest. Today's guest is the author of Thursday is the New Friday, How to Work Fewer Hours, Make More Money, and Spend More Time Doing What You Want. It examines how the four-day work week boosts creativity and productivity, and he's also the host of the popular The Practice of the Practice podcast, which is recognized as one of the top 50 podcasts worldwide with over 100,000 downloads every single month. Please give a very warm welcome to Joe Sanek. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing great. How are you this morning? Hey, I am absolutely fantastic, Joe. Across across the pond, we're just just diving into the afternoon, but it's sunny and the birds are singing outside. So you know everything is good in life. I love it. Wonderful. Um, so, so li- listen, Joe. I really want to dive in straight away today because one of the things that that you're really advocating for at the moment is a four day work week. So, firstly, before we dive into that, just tell me, you know, what's the history of this seven day? Seven day week, this forty hour work week. Why? Why does everyone work on this forty hours? Why? Yeah, you, you know it's so interesting when you when you write a book, thinking about like where did these things come from? And this wasn't even something I was going to dive into, but I was like, I got to understand the seven day week, the forty hour work week to really get to the four day work week. And you know, I looked back and was looking through history, and it makes sense why we have a year. You know, the Earth goes around the sun. It makes sense why we have a day. The Earth rotates, um, but there's nothing in nature that points to a seven-day week. And actually, thousands of years ago, the Babylonians, when they looked up in the sky, they saw seven major celestial things. They saw the sun, they saw the moon, Earth, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Jupiter. And so they said we should have a seven-day week. It is completely made up. The Romans, they had an eight-day week. The Egyptians had a 10-day week. Um, you know, we've, we could have a five-day week with, you know, 73 weeks in a year. That would make just as much sense as what we have. So just starting from the premise, we made this whole thing up um, so we can undo it. Um, so that, that's just the seven-day week. Then fast forward to what the late 1800s, early 1900s looked like. Um, people were working 10 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. The average person was just killing it night and day, working in factories, as a farmer, all sorts of just terrible work conditions. And then in 1926, Henry Ford switched over to the 40-hour work week, mostly to sell more cars, because he thought if people have time to recreate, if people have time to go out on you know the weekend or on Sunday, they're going to buy more cars because they're going to want to be able to go do things with it. They're not going to buy a car just to drive to work. So we see less than 100 years ago, Henry Ford pushes the 40-hour work week. Other industries start to take that on as well. And then we see that that Friday starts to kind of disappear more and more in the 80s, where it becomes Friday's a day to host birthday parties at the office. It's a day to have visioning meetings. We're going to go do a team building retreat in the trust fall. Uh, and so we see that even Fridays are slowly starting to disappear. It's, it's fascinating. I've, I'd never thought about the seven-day week. Um, so when you say that, like, and, and you don't need to give it, it's, it's not a pop quiz, but like you say in the Roman times, it was like a, an eight day week. So what, what happened to change that to a seven? Do you, do you know that or off the bat? 
Yeah, you know, um, actually, up into the 1900s, even Russia was on a different calendar than than the rest of the world. And so there was a period of time that I talk about in the book where um, Russia just lost, I think it was like three or four days. And so even the fact that as a entire globe were on the same calendar is still in the last hundred years. And, and so, you know, we think, okay, seven day week, 365.25 days, and then having a leap year. People have done that in so many different ways uh, that it would have taken a whole book to even just go through all the different nuances of a calendar. And so I only dedicate, I think, half of a chapter to, to talking about it. Uh, I get into that history stuff so much, but then my editor was like, let's let's tone this down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a that's the sequel to the, the next book that is. So so based on that four day work week. You know, a lot, like you say, a lot of people can almost argue that we've been working towards that anyway. And like Fridays become the, the, the lazy day almost. So what, why, why is that happening in, in modern culture and, and how can we use it to actually increase profits and stuff in the business as well? Yeah, I would actually argue that what Henry Ford did was a huge step for the evolution of business. It was it was what people needed at the time to go from working six or seven days a week. It, evolutionarily, that is the next step. But if we take what the industrialists taught us, that people are just machines, they're replaceable, like we could do that without any emotions. Do we believe that what the industrialists taught us anymore? No, we, we've been moving away from what the industrialists taught us anyway. Um, and so whether we look at public schools or how the average office works 40 hours a week, or even how the average office will hire someone for a specific role. And then the only way to make more money is to become a supervisor. All of that's changing because we are saying that the industrialists were great for their time, but we've out evolved them. And so I would actually argue uh, that the four day week um, is that next natural step in the evolution of business. And we're seeing that, especially with COVID, the entire globe is saying, why do we do work this way? Why do we have schedules like this? Why do we care about butts in a chair instead of just outcomes and lifestyle and all these other things? And so I would actually say that history, I think, will reflect back to say that COVID was that final nail in the coffin for the industrialist model. But right now we're in that messy middle where there is not a perfect solution. And that always happens that, you know, Henry Ford throws out the 40 hour work week. You know, that didn't take off right away nationwide. It, there was a messy middle there as well, away from this old model where people said, well, how are we ever going to make money if people don't work seven days a week? Well, they saw that they could. They were actually more creative by having a better lifestyle. Same thing now where we're seeing that people are arguing, oh, well, we're never going to make money with a four day work week. And the research just doesn't support that. Uh, there, there's a ton of research now emerging that it's actually better for people. It's better for creativity and better for productivity. So when we're talking a four day work week, are we talking Friday, Saturday, Sundays? Are we talking having a day off in the, in the week? Does that make any difference to the outcome or? Yeah, I think that right now what we're seeing is that um, just implementing somewhere between a 34 and a 36 hour week is kind of the core part of it. Uh, different business sectors are going to do it differently. I mean, if you own an ambulance company, like you need to be around 24 seven. You, know, you can't just say we're, we're not going to have ambulances. There's certain industries that it just won't make as much sense for. And so the core belief is if we work less, we can do better and more creative work. And then each industry is testing that in a variety of ways. So for example, Kalamazoo Valley Community College in Southwestern Michigan, uh, it was probably five years ago or so, this HVAC instructor, just a reg regular HVAC instructor, not C-suite level or top vice president, anything like that. 
he just starts paying attention on Fridays at Kalamazoo Valley Community College. And he sees that there's not a whole lot of cars there. He goes up on the roof and he takes pictures of the parking lot, showing how empty it is all summer long. Uh, and then he starts to run the numbers on how HVAC systems work at a college. And unlike a typical home, so in a home, you have the AC kick on and then maybe you have the heat and it can kind of adjust. Uh, you pretty much dedicate to one of them when you have these large kind of buildings. And so when they turn on the AC, it's on, um, you know, it can turn on and off, but they're not going to put some heat and kind of regulate it. And so he was talking about how much it would save if they could turn off that AC on Thursday night. Uh, and he presented to the board and they switched the entire college over first as a test to a four day work week in the summertime. They saved so much money from that, from, you know, staff retention, health outcomes, from just even the AC uh, that they've continued to do that. So they now do a 36 hour week in the summer. HR quote donates four hours, you know, they just write it off or whatever they do on their books. Uh, and they've saved millions of dollars just in AC costs. And so there are business models in very traditional institutions uh, that you wouldn't think would be able to do a four-day work week. You know, a community college, that's a pretty standard institution that's implementing these principles. It's not just, you know, young entrepreneurs like you and I, um, it's people that are out there that have big businesses that are actually implementing it. Yes, it's fascinating. I love the way that everything we're going through here as well. You've got the evidence to back it up, right? It's really, really well researched and how, how it all comes together. So in the book as well, you're talking about internal inclinations, which is a hard word for an Englishman to say, by the way. <laughs> inclinations. That's why I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Just to make you look silly on your own podcast. <laughs> so talk, talk me through those a little bit. Yeah, so internal inclinations. So there's three internal inclinations that top entrepreneurs have. And so in the book, even though we're talking about big macro ideas of a four-day work week for society, for business, ultimately it's individuals that make the decisions. It's that one CEO, it's that one Henry Ford, it's that one solopreneur, it's that mid-level manager that says, maybe we can test this with the department if we get the sign-off from the people above us. So most of the book is for the individual. Um, I use large um, kind of case studies and science to back it up, but ultimately it's <clears throat> me deciding for myself that I'm going to push this. So we start with internal inclinations. So the first one is curiosity. The second one is an outsider perspective. And the third one is the ability to move on it. And so curiosity, let's just think about how society teaches us about curiosity. You know, the Washington Post in the early 1900s headline said, curiosity killed the cat. So nationwide, people were watching this cat that had got stuck in a chimney, was up there for five days. Uh, Miss Mabel, who was a single woman who was, you know, a teacher, her cat, you know, went up into the chimney. So people are watching this story unfold and eventually this cat dies in the chimney. Well, this becomes this kind of cultural phrase of curiosity killed the cat. Well, what does that teach kids? It teaches kids you don't push back. You don't explore. Um, you're going to get killed if you go look behind that barn. Uh, but what are even just children's natural inclinations? You know, I have a six-year-old and a 10-year-old. Every day when they see something they don't know or understand, they ask about it. They say, well, that's interesting. And, and I think as entrepreneurs, as you know, seven-figure businesses, we often think we have to have these huge eureka moments where just the light bulb goes off and there's fireworks. But, but the best question or thing that we can say is, well, that's interesting. Why did that happen? So, you know, we thought this Facebook campaign was going to just knock it out of the park. It didn't work. That's interesting. Um, let's dig into some of that data. Um, to have that curiosity um, and to be learning new skills and stepping into new arenas, 
helps our brains kind of really tap into the, the type of, of growth that our brains desire. And, and when, we, when we tap into that, when we tap into that curiosity, we then tap into our best potential uh, versus just getting stuck in doing email, reading the news, all those things that really aren't the best use of our brains. So that's curiosity. Cool. Curiosity, yeah. I, and I can totally relate to that from a, from a business perspective as well. Like we're, we're very much a fan of the 1%. So like the 1% of like, how can we make this incremental improvements? And at the same time, the watching back of the tape. So uh, like we treat it as like a, almost like an NFL coach. You're just going, great. What happened? What happened through that? Like, I'm just curious, like why, why did that work? Why didn't that work? So um, it's so important in business to, because we change so fast, probably faster than we've ever done in history. So um, yeah, curiosity is, is really important. So let's talk about the other two as well. Yeah. So an outsider perspective. So when we look at a lot of the top influencers, people who have really disrupted society, more times than not, they're either from another country, another culture, in some way they're an outsider. Um, and that outsider perspective research supports actually gives you a statistical advantage in having influence over a group. Uh, there's one study where um, they brought in, uh, there were six people that were at, in the study at a time. And they would just say, is this color green or is this color blue? And they had different shades of blue and green. You know, when they brought in just the regular six people, it, you know, most of the time there's a couple colors they might've been off on, but for the most part, the whole group kind of agreed on, yep, that's a blue, that's a green. Well, then, you know, as you do in research studies, you bring in a second group. And in that second group, two of the four people or two of the six people. So two people were in on the research. The other four were not. And occasionally they would say with those colors in the middle, no, that's definitely not blue. That, that's definitely more green. Uh, or no, that's not green. Even though the rest of the group was saying, no, that's definitely green. Um, and so they're trying to push against it. And they found that, you know, they should have statistically only had kind of one third of the vote um, in regards to that because, you know, two out of six. But what happened is they had more than 50% of the vote. And so over and over we see in research, and there's lots of studies that are similar in scale uh, and that, that support this, where the outsider actually has more influence than they should have. Um, because they have a different perspective, because um, they come across as being able to think outside the box better. And so when people can say, well, do I naturally come across as an outsider? Do I naturally think out of the box? Naturally, am I one of those people that can have an outsider perspective? Or is that something that needs to be developed? With all of these inclinations, there's a whole quiz we have within the book. You can look at, well, does curiosity come naturally for me or do I need to work on it? You know, does having an outsider perspective come naturally for me or do I need to work on it? Does moving on it come naturally or do I need to work on it? So it's not pass fail. Oh, you don't have it. You can't succeed. It's okay. This doesn't come as naturally for you. Here's a bunch of things that you can do to help yourself feel what it's like to be an outsider. How do you become an outsider? How do you how do you allow yourself to think differently so that you can then have that outsider perspective? Full stadium. So can you still hear me okay as well? Oh. Now you're back. You froze for a minute there. Okay, let's. Um, I'm going to do that for a second. So, editor, <laughs> please change back that last little snippet cut out that, and we'll we'll carry on from there. So, I'll I'll just jump back into what I was saying on that bit, and then we'll go into the next question. That sound good? Perfect. Brilliant. So, yeah, Joe, that's really interesting what you've said there, and 
I remember watching a science show when I was a kid called Brainiac. Uh, they might have in the US. I, I, I'm not sure if they do, but it, uh, they did this experiment where they saw how many people it took to start a Mexican wave in a football stadium. And it was like seven people. Uh, and that, that was it. So it's interesting that like seven outsiders out of 60,000 odd can start a Mexican wave. So I think there's a lot of power behind that, right, of the outsider's perspective. So let's, now let's talk about the, the final one of those. Yeah. So the last one is to move on it. And, you know, we often hear things like I'm paralyzed by perfection or, um, you know, especially people who have done higher education, have gone to grad school. I find that this is really a difficult concept for them because what does the typical education system teach us? Well, it says you're going to first do a draft of a paper. Then you're going to go back through it again. Then you're going to go to the writing center because your professor said this is really terrible. And then you're going to go over it again. And then finally this perfect work of art, your honors college thesis, you're going to turn in and then, you know, you're going to have a professor or two that approves it throughout all of our education. That's the model that you don't turn it in until it's perfect. You don't go up on stage until it's perfect. You know, musicians or artists, you're supposed to seek that perfection. The problem is, is that's the exact opposite of what we need in the business world to be successful. Uh, moving on it, the speed of moving on it statistically is more important than the accuracy. Now, do we want certain fields to be accurate? Of course. I want anyone that is a surgeon that's working on my body to be 100% accurate. If I'm under and they're taking out my thyroid, they should be accurate. I don't care about speed. Take as long as you want. But there's a lot of other occupations that don't need to have that level of accuracy and precision. And so when we look at it, you know, about 70% of the time, we should be focusing on speed over accuracy. Most of what we do, most of the time, you know, it's more important to get it out there and to get the feedback than it is to say, I'm going to make sure this is 100% accurate. And that, that really brings on to the, the next point. So I was doing some research on you, and one of your students said, you talk about slowing down whilst leveling up, which sounds kind of counterintuitive to what you've obviously just said there, but I don't think that's the case, is it? It's like, so how, how does then slowing down and speeding up at the same time actually help you to level up? Yeah, so it's interesting because uh, I didn't recognize that this was something I was naturally doing. How most people live is, you know, they'll work five days a week. They'll be stressed out and maxed out. They'll get to the weekend. They'll barely recover because, you know, they may have Friday night and Saturday, but by Sunday morning, you're like, crap, Monday's right around the corner. Um, and so, you know, most people aren't even thinking about how do I optimize my body for this work week? Now, if we flip it and we say, we're going to slow down first, we're going to focus on that weekend and saying, even if I'm still working five days a week, how do I make sure those two days are the best two days to help me kill it next week? And slowing down is the number one thing that people can do. And so I host an event every summer called Slowdown School, where all these entrepreneurs fly into northern Michigan. We pick them up in a big yellow school bus. We drive them you know, to the shores of Lake Michigan. And for two days, actually two and a half, we have them turn off their phones and we go hiking. We bring in massage therapists, a yoga teacher. We play spike ball on the beach and skip stones and just genuinely let our brains turn off. And it's interesting to watch because on day one, it's a lot of anxiety. I, I should be talking to Joe about my business. I should be networking. I should, you know, all this kind of hyped upness. But by Tuesday morning, it's like this whole film has been lifted. 
And then by Wednesday, when it's time to start working on the business, I teach them how to sprint. And we talk about sprint types and kind of the, some very specific things and very specific blueprints to help them get the most done. And in the 20 minute sprints, I've seen so many people get their top level things done. There was one lady who had been wanting to start a consulting business. And in her 20 minute sprint, she named the consulting business. She bought the URL. She had sketched out her first nine emails of her email sequence, and she had figured out her first offering in 20 minutes. This other guy in 20 minutes, he had been stuck. He was writing this book about couples therapy as a therapist in Chicago. And, you know, he's thinking through it and he'd been working on it in a mastermind group for months. And for a variety of reasons, he had delayed. In 20 minutes, he sketched out his first nine chapters of his book. It was just like fireworks happened. And we intuitively know this too. I can say all the research, but you, know, you think about it when you're stuck on something and you know, you're taking a shower or you're on a long drive and you're not listening to a podcast. You're just like letting yourself daydream or that first minute you go into meditation, it's like, oh my gosh, like my whole day just flooded into my brain. Um, when we slow down, that is when our best ideas come to the surface because our brains aren't stressed out like they typically are. And, and so when we focus on that intentionally, we get so much more done that top 1% that we were talking about earlier, uh, we're able to do because we can actually step back and use our brains as the tool it was meant to be used for. Uh, yeah, have you read the, read the book, The Road Less Stupid as well by Keith Cunningham? I, I haven't read that. I've heard of it, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah, hi, hi, highly recommend that one. Like, that's all about thinking time as well. So like that, that ingrained that within me and I was like, oh crap, that, that it makes things a lot easier when you're not like on the go all the time. And like you say, the best ideas come when you're not looking for the best ideas. Um, I yeah. think Einstein, was it Einstein or uh, maybe Alexander Graham Bell that used to have the tennis ball like in his hand uh, and, and he'd drop it on the tray every time he fell asleep and then it'd wake him back up and he'd get the right kind of uh, beta waves and stuff to get the juices flowing. So fascinating, absolutely fascinating stuff. So Joe, something we ask everyone who comes on the show, is what do you want to be remembered for when you die? Honestly, I want to be remembered for being a good dad. You know, I have a six-year-old and a 10-year-old and you know, I can do all this business stuff and help all these entrepreneurs. And that's wonderful. All these people are great. But ultimately, having adventures with my girls and having them say, you know, I'm confident, I'm strong, I'm bold, I can stand up against oppression. Ultimately, that's what I want my kids to be able to say that I helped teach them. I love it. I, I love that. So you got two girls, have you? I do. Yeah, they're wonderful. They're they're spunky girls that you know. Just yesterday we went um, paddleboarding on a river, and you know they're both in heaven. They they love being in nature. They love seeing science in action, and um, they stand up for people when they're being pushed around, which is awesome too. That that's all about the role models, right? <laughs> that's it. Doesn't doesn't come naturally. So yeah, credit credit to you on that. And what is one quick win that people can use to amplify their business today? Yeah. So there was a research study at University of Illinois where they looked at if every 20 minutes you take a one minute break, it pushes back on vigilance decrement. Vigilance decrement, vigilance, how well you pay attention to something. Decrement meaning breaking down over time. So literally a micro moment of a one minute break where you don't look at a screen. You just maybe look out the window, take a deep breath, run up and down the stairs, whatever you do that engages your body, that will be a game changer in your life. Uh, I love that. I mean, we're looking at houses and stuff at the moment. And the main thing we're looking for is what's the view. It's like, you can change everything else inside. You can't change the view. So like to be able to look at that for one minute is, 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 is phenomenal. And does that kind of tie in with the Pomodoro method then of like the 25 minutes and the five minute break kind of thing? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, that's what kind of spurred some of that research on. And then we kind of take it the next step farther to say, well, how do you sprint? Because we hear you should sprint, but then we've actually discovered that there's a number of sprint types. And so it's less, here's the one method and more finding the menu of what works best for you. And so those four different sprint types, um, if someone finds their sprint type and then applies those different types of methods, uh, that's a complete game changer for them. That, that's fantastic. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, if we have you back back on the show, which I'm sure, sure we will at some point, we'll, let's, we'll get into those sprint types and everything. And can people find out more about those sprint types as well on your site? Um, yeah, we, we talked through it in the book and we have some blog posts about it as well. Fantastic. So Joe, what seven figure entrepreneur would you nominate to be on the show next? I would 100% say Dr. Jeremy Sharp. He has the Testing Psychologist podcast. Uh, he has a very traditional uh, testing psychology business. And then he also has a podcast and is leveling up. So, so forgive me, what is a testing, what is testing psychology? Yeah, so a testing psychologist is someone that does more of the assessments. And so say someone wonders if their kid has autism or ADHD, uh, they'll run a battery of tests with that person uh, and their family and then be able to say, you know, here, here's my assessment of what's going on with the child. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, I, I, lo I love that, Joe. Thank, thanks very much for being on the show. Where can people find more about you and what you do? Yeah. So we have joesanock.com forward slash book is the best place to learn about the book. You can also go to Thursdays, the new Friday.com that will always redirect to kind of the best page for buying Thursdays, the new Friday as well. Um, we, we're giving away 10 free books to your audience. And so uh, on published date, uh, make sure that you're, you're following Paul um, and he'll put out a hashtag Thursdays, the new Friday, and then people will respond to that. And then you'll tell us which 10 you want to have the free books. But phenomenal yeah we'll definitely put that on our social media as well to get get that promoted lovely so joe it's been amazing having you on the show really appreciate you uh it's been a pleasure so you have been listening to the amplified seven figures podcast with me paul ace and my amazing guest joe sanek remember amplify your business and amplify your life bye for now Thanks for listening to the Amplify to 7 Figures podcast. To access the show notes, episodes, and this month's giveaway, head over to www.amplifytosevenfigures.com. Remember, amplify your business, amplify, amplify your, your life. life.